if you don't know the Sermon on the Mount. To him, it was that important that we understand this is, this is the framework that God gives his, or Jesus gives his disciples in how to live, what it looks like to be a Christian, how to, how to present ourselves to the world. And so we could probably spend, you know, every couple of years, we could come back here and spend a few months in here to remind us of the truth of this. So I don't want to recap chapters five and six. You, you can do that on your own uh, online if you would like to. But entering into these six verses in chapter 7, which we're going to read in a few moments, uh, these six verses are some of, in my opinion, some of the most misunderstood and misused verses in Scripture. Uh, What is, I'm taking a risk here, because I don't know what translations everyone has. What is the heading that you have just above chapter 7? pretty consistent in the theme, right? So judging others or do not judge others or whatever it might be. Well, uh, Craig Blomberg uh, wrote that the um, Christians can scarcely afford to be judgmental. Is, is we as Christians should not be judgmental about anything. In fact, as we sang earlier, um, John Newton wrote in 1772 this song called Amazing Grace which essentially when we as Christians are confronted with the gospel, we should be overcome with humility and we should recognize the grace and the goodness of God and how little that we truly think or, or that we deserve. But the problem is, is often the opposite of that is true. And so I want to clarify a few things as we, we move forward here. In, in 2007, David Kinnaman wrote a book called Unchristian. Has anyone ever read Unchristian? Super helpful book for you to read. Uh, he highlights the three top things that Christians are known for. And I'm not going to tell you two of them because I want you to read the book. But one of them is that he said the consistent answers, one of them was constantly pop up, is Christians are judgmental people. And so as the Barna Research Group, uh, who David Kinnaman is a part of, began to explore this, um, evangelicalism as a whole realized that uh, there's lots of factors behind this. We don't have time to get into it as to why Christians come across as judgmental so often. But we realized, in, in, and I, when I say evangelicalism, I mean like the broad sense of, of uh, Protestantism here kind of in, in our part of the world, is looking at this and going, we should not ever be viewed in that way because, like I said, when we come face-to-face with the gospel, we should be overwhelmed by humility and any arrogance that we have or judgmentalism towards somebody else should just be cut off at the root. But according to the surveys, it's not. And so over the past 15-odd years, uh, broadly speaking, most denominations have tried to distance themselves from that type of stereotype. Uh, But what's the problem whenever we try to do something opposite than what we do? We're a pendulum swinger, aren't we? It's like we start over here and we go all the way to the other extreme. And now that's the issue that we're finding in culture even more so, though there's certainly plenty uh, of of people who would define Christians as judgmental still. It's come to the opposite end of where like, you, you can't judge me. You don't know. We shouldn't judge anybody for anything ever. But it kind of goes in the face of what these verses are going to say, though verse 1 says, judge not that you may, that you be not judged. That seems to be all we take out of this section. In John 7 verse 24, Jesus says this, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And that's what he's going to teach us how to do here in these next few verses, is how do we as Christians judge with right judgment? Judgment. 
I think the problem, by and large, with this is that we don't like this word judgment. And it comes with all kinds of negative uh, connotations behind it. We think of it as a, as a negative word. And like I said, verse 1 says, judge not that you be not judged. So we go, okay, should we shouldn't judge anyone. But then so much of the New Testament letters are written in a way so that we would learn how we are to judge effectively for godliness so that people would come into a deeper walk with God. But when we think judgment, we immediately think negative. Because I think so much of that is true. So many people have, have come up to someone in a condescending tone and said, you shouldn't be doing this, how dare you? And then that gets viewed as, well, who are you to say that to me? See, here's the the issue. (laughs) It's not us saying it. It's Scripture that says it. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But let's read these six verses together. We'll frame it in its context. And then then my goal as we walk out of here is that we would rid judgmentalism from our attitudes, but we would learn where and when to apply correct and right judgment. So let's read this together. Chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is, whole, what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So two things. We're going to spend most of the time dealing with these first five verses, but I want to clarify verse six because I think often it just gets lumped in and, and we don't really explore it and try and understand it in the context where we find it. So judge, a judgmental attitude, I think we can all uh, agree is wrong, but judgments we can't say are wrong because we all make judgments every day in many different ways. And you can think about it in really, really simple ways. So yesterday morning, uh, you woke up and what did you see everywhere? And you made some kind of a judgment about whether you should go outside or not. No, maybe some of you didn't. But that's, that's still a judgment. No, but you looked at it and you went, okay, I got to go to work now. How am I going to dress differently today that it's snowing than I did three days ago when it was plus 20? Yes, welcome to Banff. That's how we roll. You make judgments. Uh, somebody comes up to you and asks for advice about a situation that they're going through. Well, you make a judgment based on that and how to respond. And, and whether or not what you say is helpful, that's a different issue for a different time. You... Uh, Open the fridge after church because you forgot to make anything for lunch. And you make the judgment it's time to go to the Pad Thai restaurant or, you know, somewhere else. Hopefully you don't make that judgment. The point is, right, and I'm just being silly and and very simple, is we make judgments on all these different decisions that we make all throughout. And most of those judgments are not necessarily moral issues, but simply analyzing and evaluating the situation in front of us. But here's where it changes. And again, Craig Blomberg writes this. He says, even on those occasions when we render a negative evaluation of others, our purposes should be constructive and not retributive. Our judgments are meant to be constructive. As I said, all through the early church, we are called to disciple one another. And part of that involves correction. And how do you correct someone without making a judgment? 
Jesus warns his disciples not to correct others in arrogance or, or in a retributive sense, but with grace, with mercy, and with humility. So how do we apply correct judgment? Well, I've said this verse many times going through this series. But 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, it says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for what? What does it say? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And then why? So that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I think the biggest issue behind judgment in general in our culture is this, is a low view of the word of God. Is that we look at it and we think it's outdated, irrelevant, and unimportant to our lives. And so then we start to make judgments based on what we think to be true. The problem is, let's say there's 80 of us in this room, there's 82 different views on how we should do something is we can't agree on all kinds of things. There was, there was supposed to be a Montreal Canadiens fan here, and I was just going to just lay into them for last night. But they're not here, so sorry. I wasn't actually going to do that. But As we think about this is, are my judgments correct and right and true? You ever... You ever been called into a situation in someone else's life? They've asked for advice and wisdom, and, and man, you can see that situation so clearly because you have an objectivity to it. You're not invested in that situation, and so you can see so clearly. But then it flips on us, and all of a sudden, we get very defensive, and we, well, well yeah, but what you're saying makes sense, but you don't know this thing or that thing that I did or that I said or that they said or that they hurt me. And we start, it starts getting very gray very quickly because when it becomes personal, our judgment is just brutal. And that's just the honest truth of it. And it's something that we need to practice. How do we become better at making correct judgments? Well, again, I think there's only one way to do that, and that's to submit to the authority of the Word of God. And to say, God has shown us and spelled out for us what it means to be a Christian, how to live. And, and even if you only had these three chapters in the Bible, I think it would be pretty clear how you're supposed to live as a Christian. But praise the Lord, we have so much more written to us to help us. So I think the first issue with that, that understanding of judgment is, man, we've got to hold the word of God high because if we're going to correct someone based on the word of God, then it's not me that's saying something, it's the word of God saying something. Now again, you all know this to be true, especially if you're married. How you say what you say matters just as much as what you say, right? And that's what Jesus' point here is in verse 1, is if you stand in judgment over them, you're like, man, I don't do that. Why would you do that? It's so clear you're not supposed to do that. What's that about? Are you trying to help them? Not a chance. We're trying to do what we all do all over the place is we make judgments of, man, I'm pretty good, and I don't feel very good, so instead I'm going to run someone else down to bring myself up. Why else do we yell at the referees on TV? Right? Like, they have a job. They have training. They're people like us, and we sit there in our armchairs and think, man, we could do a way better job. Anybody want that job for one day? I don't think so. Simple truth is when we approach the gospel, when we approach the word of God, are we willing to submit ourselves under that authority, see the gospel for what it is, and in humility, repent and turn towards Jesus? 
And when somebody comes up to me and says, Greg, you said this or you did this or I noticed this happened and that's not right. I have a response that I can make at that moment. I can get defensive and explain all the reasons why I think I was right. Or I can look at the word of God and I can say, was I wrong? And do I need to fix that? Do I need to correct that behavior? Or maybe worse, and this is where it gets really hard, is if someone comes up to me and says, Greg, I see a pattern of behavior here. And this isn't good. This isn't according to scripture. Usually, rather than going, you're right, what do we usually do? We look at them and we try to find their fault, right? What is Jesus using this analogy here, just right there? How we correct someone is so vitally important to whether we're trying to build them up and help them grow in their faith and, and their understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian Or it's about our own lack of ego and us trying to pump our own tires to feel better inside. And if we do that, we're showing only one thing, that we're not a very mature Christian. And so if you notice the example that Jesus uses, and it's ridiculous, right? It's it's obviously humor and sarcasm mixed into here. And he's saying, so if, if you are watching and evaluating, evaluating other people's lives for the sole purpose of pointing out all their flaws then you're completely blind to all the issues that you have in your own life. Haven't we all probably been guilty of that from time to time? Maybe we're more guilty of that than we would like to admit. And so sometimes we read something like that and we go, see, we're not supposed to judge, but, but notice the point of Jesus' example. Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the law out of your own eyes so that you can do what? So that you can help your brother. Right? So Jesus is saying right here, not don't address the issue. He's saying make sure first that you're going to address your own issues and so that your motivations are correct when you go to somebody else to help them. And like I said, that's hard and that's scary and it makes us vulnerable and we open ourselves up to arguments and fights. Or we can submit to the word of God. And in humility, we can listen to what other people say. And we can figure out, do I need to deal with this issue? When we see an issue in somebody else's life, make sure that you're not going, man, I don't struggle at that at all. How could they? I better go fix their their problem. Because who's that about? That's about you and how good you are. And you might be really good at some things. All of us are really good at some things. But the reverse of that is true too, isn't it? All of us really struggle in some other areas. And so in humility, if we recognize that, man, maybe I don't struggle with that, but I see this as a, as a problem in that the spiritual maturity of that brother or sister. And my goal is that they would be in a deeper relationship with Jesus. Then go and, and try and help them in that. But first, evaluate your own heart and see what areas do I need to deal with. And then get right. Get right with God. And maybe even this, and, and this isn't said in this text, but it's said in other places, like in James, is maybe we need to then go to other people and ask forgiveness for our sins that we have wronged them for. The point is not to judge. The point is, are we going to judge correctly with correct judgment? Let's, let's just go to verse 6 here. I just want to f- deal with this one. And this one, just going to take a few minutes here because this is a tough one. 
Again, when anything becomes personal to us and we have vested interest, we tend to start interpreting Scripture less appropriately because there's certain issues in our heart or in our life. And so when Jesus says, in this context, right, he's talking about when there's an issue in your brother's life or your sister's life, that you go to them, that you help them, that you bring them back into a walking, uh, healthy relationship with Christ. But then he says on the flip side, but don't give dogs what is holy. Sounds very unloving, doesn't it? It sounds very harsh. So here's where I think the problem is. The truth of the matter is that we all have people in our lives that we love desperately. And we wish nothing more than for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we will do any and everything we can and and we'll share with them over and over and over and over hoping that they'll come to Christ. But here's the thing is that there's there's no perfect way to share the gospel where someone will have no objections to you. There's no power that you have to make them come face to face with the cross of Jesus and go, man, I need to repent. That only comes through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, we have a job to do, and we should share the gospel. 100% we should share the gospel with everybody. But what Jesus' point here is some people are not yet ready to hear it because he hasn't yet opened their heart and their mind. That's hard truth to come to realization of. Especially when maybe it's a spouse that you love or one of your children or a grandparent who's on their deathbed. It suddenly gets very complicated. The point that Jesus is trying to make here is not that there are some that are unworthy of the gospel. His point is that some people will not listen to the gospel. And so you can run and, and, and bang on that door all you want to, but you're not going to be able to convince them to become a Christian because it's not about you, it's about the Holy Spirit. I learned this lesson way too late in youth ministry. The first few years, I spent so much of my time and my effort running after kids to try and get them to be part of church, part of youth group that had no desire to do that. I did not convince very many of them. On the flip side, there were many in the church that I probably neglected that wanted to learn and that were ready. They were ripe for harvest. That doesn't mean that I just made some kind of shift and went, if you want nothing to do with Jesus, I want nothing to do with you. That is not at all what I'm saying. The point is, I would go meet with someone, and if it became clear that they wanted nothing to do with the church, then what I did is I stepped back from that, and I prayed for them, and I prayed for them regularly. God, would you open their hearts so that they see their need for you? And then would you give me wisdom with how and when I should approach them and talk to them? And then I spent most of, my try, most of my time trying to disciple those who were ready to listen and those who God was already at work in their heart. Now the problem is I don't know who's in what camp. And that's where it gets difficult. So I'm not trying to say that as you go here that, that, man, you shouldn't be sharing the gospel with your unsaved family and friends. Absolutely, you should be. But it's far more important. I shouldn't say that. It's just as important that after that, self, after that message of the gospel has been shared, that you lift that person up in prayer before God that the Holy Spirit would convict them of what they need. Because you're never going to convince them. 
There will never be an apologist who is so good that every person that they come in contact with, they're like, man, I, I see it. I see my need for Jesus. Even if they intellectually come to that conclusion spiritually, there's still a fight going on. And so if somebody rejects or if you have a hostile family member towards you and your beliefs, is don't just get into fights with them all the time. You're not going to win that. But pray earnestly that the Holy Spirit would change their hearts. And then also pray that you would have the eyes to see and the ears to hear when their hearts are being changed. That you could go to them and that you could share with them. 1 Peter 5, 2 reminds us to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Those that you have influence on, let's work hard at those. Those that we don't have influence on, let's entrust them to others. Let's entrust them to the Holy Spirit. And let's remember that it's not about me saving somebody. It's about the Holy Spirit convicting them, that they come to faith in Jesus Christ. So as we go from here this morning, should you judge people? Absolutely you should. But not with judgment that leads to condemnation. You should judge them based on what Scripture says and try and hold them high. Now, the reality is, and, and we probably all struggle with this, is, is you can hold a Christian brother or sister accountable to the Word of God, but you can't hold someone who doesn't adhere to the Word of God to the Word of God. So when other people are struggling with certain things in their life, it's not our job to go fix that situation. Our job is to share Jesus with them. If they're a Christian brother or sister, that's different, and then we can come into that relationship. And a few weeks back, we had some new members come in, and we talked about why we do membership here, because we're a covenant family that need one another, and no man is an island. I need you, and you need me, and we need us. So as we gather together, when we see, man, I've noticed that you're, you're doing this or you're not doing this, is it for the sake of God's name? Is it for the sake of bringing that person closer into a relationship with Jesus? Then absolutely have that conversation. If it's not and your motives are wrong, go fix your motives. But then, after the log's out of your own eye, you're told, then go back and go and help. So when you think of that word judgment and when you think, man, Christians aren't supposed to judge others, get it in the right context and in the right framework. Our goal is that people would grow in their faith and their knowledge of Jesus. And so we bring them to Scripture and we try and hold each other accountable to what is true and what is right so that, as Jesus said in John, that we can judge with right judgment. Let's pray. God, as we consider these words, as we consider our own hearts and the, the reality of, of the things that we need to clean up. God, we know that each one of us have struggles and challenges and unique issues. But we also know that Jesus Christ came to the cross and died on the cross that we might find forgiveness of those. And so would we surrender those things to you? as we read scripture, as we study together, would it be the way in which we determine what is right, what is good, and how we should live? And as we enter into Christian community and, and faith with other brothers and sisters, that we would be willing and vulnerable enough to hear what they're saying, that the word of God may correct and reprove us and show us how we ought to live so that we could be trained for every good work.
but God, also for those in our lives who don't know you. For those in our life who are perhaps hostile towards you. Would we understand the truth of verse 6? Would we realize that there's no way that I'm going to save someone that that alone comes through the Holy Spirit? And so would we share the truth with them? Yes, but would we pray for them far more? Would we uphold them and would we see and know as their heart changes what we should say and how we can help? At the end of the day, We exist to serve you. And so would we as a church family gather together and spur one another on that we might live in such a way that honors you and that we mature in our spiritual growth, not trying to think that somehow we can attain perfection on this side of eternity, but give us the right motives wanting to honor you and help each other grow. And lastly, God, would you rid us of judgmental attitude that builds us up at the cost of others? Would we never condemn others thinking somehow that we deserve your forgiveness and they don't? Forgiveness is a free gift of grace offered by you to everyone. May we remember that. May we take the log out of our eye first so that we can help our brother and sister. God, we love you. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And as we go from this place, as we go now and have coffee and snacks together, as we fellowship together, would you draw us tightly as one body so that we can help each other on this journey of life. Go with us today now. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please do come have some food. I only made some of it today, but so it's probably fine. And uh, no one got sick, so don't worry.